Welcome to the Simply Resilient podcast, episode number 74, Victims and Villains. My name is Jessie Ellertson and I am a certified life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to improve the experience that they are having in the process. If you are ready to thrive while your husband is away, then you are in the right place. Our battle buddy moment for this episode is a review on Facebook from Suzanne Lindsay. And she says, Jessie gives her all to make your experience with her amazing. She pampers you and then inspires and motivates you with her great life coaching techniques. I encourage anyone and everyone to take advantage of this wonderful opportunity. Thank you so much for that review, Suzanne. Everybody, keep them coming. Thank you. Okay, so today we are talking about what it means to be a victim and to indulge in victim mentality and to identify as a victim. And we're not going to spend too much time talking about villains, except to say that if you are in victim mentality, then there is a villain. You can't have a victim without a villain. It just means the thing that has hurt you, the thing that's out to get you in the world. If there's a victim, there's a villain. And sometimes it does go the other way that there really truly are bad guys victimizing people in the world who this villain is in a position of power over. But for the most part, we are creating this victim mentality for ourselves. And in so doing, as we make ourselves the victim, we create villains as well. So we'll get into that a little bit more. So as I prepared for this podcast episode, it was interesting to see the actual definition of the word victim and the way that we more commonly use it particularly when we're indulging in victim mentality or victimhood. So the definition of victim is a person harmed, injured, or killed as a result of a crime, accident, or other event or action. It might also mean a person who is cheated or fooled by someone else, someone or something that is harmed by an unpleasant event such as an illness or an accident, a person who suffers from a destructive or injurious action, And that goes back to a little bit of what I was just talking about, how there really are true victims and villains in the world. But what I'm talking about today is when we've decided we're victims, when we are making ourselves a victim to our circumstances. I'm talking about when it would serve us to be aware that we're doing this so that we can change it and take back our power and not be a victim in those circumstances. So as you listen to this, watch yourself think that I'm trying to say there are no victims and no villains. There definitely are. But as you study this, you might find that you are, without realizing it, creating the victim and villain story unnecessarily when it does not serve you. And that's what I want you to gain awareness around so that you can at least do it less. So I'm not talking about what I believe to be like a true victim where someone with power or control over another person acts upon them and abuses that power. Sometimes we feel like we're in situations where that can occur, but as adults, for the most part, we are not in that situation. Okay, so the reason that victim victimhood can be so prevalent is because our lower brain is programmed to kind of go to that place, to go to that victim mentality place. And when I'm working with my clients and I'm, we're working through what they're getting coached on and we're putting it into the model. I always show them how our lower brain wants to skip the thought line. So if you don't know the model, go back and listen to episode one where I talk about it and teach you about it. But if you do know the model, you'll know that 
we have the circumstance line where all the facts of the story go, right? So what someone said, what someone did, an event that took place, right? The, the facts of the, what happened. And then the next line is our thoughts about those facts, right? And then that's what creates how we feel, which is the third line. And our lower brain loves to say, I'm feeling this way because of what's happening in my circumstance line. It, for some reason, its favorite game is to skip the thought line. <laughs> and it's probably, you know, a survival instinct because if it's our fault, then we have to do something about it, right? And if it's someone else's fault, that feels a little safer and, and feels like it would serve us as we're in that survival mode, right? Our lower brain is great at survival mode. But we know that as we overcome some of those natural lower brain urges and indulgences, that we can create something so much bigger than what our lower brain is seeking to create. We can get out of survival mode and take ownership and responsibility for the parts that are ours and give people back the parts that are theirs, you know, instead of getting all that all mixed up. Another thing I want you to keep in mind as we proceed throughout this episode, um, I want you to know that I'm not trying to call anybody out for living in victim mentality. The goal that we're always working on in this podcast is just creating awareness. So if you have awareness over what victim mentality is and when you're indulging in it and why, that's all I'm trying to create for you and for myself and just for anybody who struggles with this and newsflash, we all do because we all have a lower brain. Once we create that awareness, then you are in a position to do something about it if you want to. It's completely available to you to continue as is, to make changes, to make drastic changes, to make slight changes. I just would like to offer you that awareness and that information so that you can understand the topic better and just be in that position to do something about it if you want to. So another way I like to look at what it means to be in victim mentality is it's any time that we're making something in our C line, in our circumstance line, not neutral. Now, those of you who have been with me for a while know that we believe when we, when we lean into what the model offers us and into understanding our brain through the tool of the model, we believe that all circumstances are neutral. And then we decide what we want to think about our circumstances. And that is what creates everything for us. All the powers in the thought line. Now, keep in mind... A very common misconception when we drive home this point of all circumstances being neutral is that the goal is to not have thoughts and feelings about your circumstance. And that's not the goal. The goal isn't to think and feel neutrally about your circumstances. The goal is to know that nothing in your life is coming from your circumstances. Everything in your life is coming from the way you think and feel about your circumstances. So I want you to get excited when good things happen and be devastated when terrible things happen. I want you to think all kinds of things about your circumstances. I just want you to continually and consistently keep control over what you are feeling and doing and creating in your life by knowing it's all coming from your thoughts. So let me give you a quick example. I've been doing thought work for a long time now, for a few years, and there's always lots of things that I'm working on in my personal life. I know I, I share lots of that with you guys. So one of my main troublesome emotions that comes up for me because of my thoughts when it comes to my parenting, my parenting is one that I'm working on quite frequently and it is annoyance. I am annoyed all the time. I just, for some reason, my lower brain offers me annoyed all the time, but that's okay. 
the changes that I have made since learning how to manage my mind haven't been to stop being annoyed. I still get annoyed all the time. I just catch my brain thinking that I'm annoyed because of what my kids are doing or because of some, you know, something going on with my house or because of what my husband's doing. And I just, every, like every single time, I mean, I'm sure not every single time, but so much of the time, I try to do it every single time. I correct myself just right in the moment. My brain says, oh, the kids need to stop doing this so I can stop feeling annoyed. Basically, that's skipping the thought line, right? And I say, no, it's okay. I'm just creating feeling annoyed with my thoughts, which are thoughts like, they shouldn't do that. This is so annoying. I wish they would stop. If only they would stop, then I could be happy. You know, those are my thoughts about what they're doing. And when I think things like that, I feel annoyed. So I can feel annoyed as a mom for the rest of my life. I don't enjoy it. I'm working hard to feel less annoyed by adjusting my thoughts. But it's interesting that even with all my knowledge and ability and practice, I still feel annoyed very frequently. And it's because I don't need to stop feeling annoyed. I just make sure that I don't place the blame of my feelings on the people around me, on my circumstances around me. I don't need to stop feeling annoyed for anyone's sake except for my own. And that's why I work on it. I work on being less annoyed for my own sake so that I can show up better as the mom I want to be. So my circumstances are neutral, as are yours, as are all of ours always. What my children say and do is neutral. What I think about what they say and do is what creates my feelings. So I just like to really clear that up, that when we say circumstances are neutral, that doesn't mean that we want you to feel neutral about your circumstances. I want you to have opinions. I want you to have thoughts. I want you to feel strongly about all of it while simultaneously keeping ownership of why you feel that way, always because of your thoughts. Okay, so my life coach, Jody Moore, one way she describes what's going on in our brain and why we have this tendency to go into victim mentalities because we're running brain software, she calls it. Basically, your most prevalent thoughts are what you filter your life through, right? And one very common one for basically all human beings, particularly when we are indulging in our lower brain, (laughs) is this brain software called something's gone wrong or something's going wrong. So we have this software this something is wrong software. And our brain naturally runs that software if we don't tell it to run any different software. And then it filters our past through that software and it filters what's currently happening to us. And it filters what's ahead of us in our future through this filter, through this software of something has gone wrong, something will go wrong, something's going wrong right now, depending on what aspect of our life we're looking at. So this is why our lower brain is an expert an expert at indulging in this victimhood and in finding what went wrong and how things are happening to us. Those just fit hand in hand. So a couple of things that play a big part in kind of living in this victim mentality. Now, most people don't live there all the time. Sometimes we dip our toe in it. Sometimes we occasionally indulge in it. Sometimes we have a period of our life where we're stuck there for a while For the most part, we come and go from victim mentality, and it is something that every single person on the planet indulges in at times. No matter how smart you are and how strong you are and how powerful you are, being in victim mentality doesn't make you the opposite of any of those things. It just makes you human. It's just a programming that's easy to dip into, easy to get stuck in, especially when we have big, hard, challenging circumstances come our way. When we have been wronged, when we have been wounded, 
really you do get some relief from victim mentality. So when we're in victimhood and the people or things around us that have hurt us are our villains and we are feeling a little better in that stance, but still totally suffering and staying stuck. Those are some of the big things that come from indulging in victimhood. So we get that little bit of relief, but at a pretty big cost. And as we get further into this episode, we're going to talk about what the real, true, lasting solution is for when very challenging circumstances come our way. So powerlessness is a big part of victim mentality. Anger, fear, resentment, they feel easier than accountability and responsibility at the time, in the moment. And victim mentality often goes hand in hand with low self-esteem. So one way I've heard this illustrated before, if you're kind of wondering where you're at self-esteem wise is, you know, when you're watching the news or something and there's like a yellow ticker tape running along the bottom of the screen with different news on it, right? It's just text news. And then you're listening to the person speaking the news story above. But sometimes you stop listening and you go down and you read the yellow line and then you go back up and listen or whatever. But that yellow ticker tape is running in our brain all the time. So my siblings and I were having this conversation one day many years ago and we were talking about that ticker tape analogy of that's always running in the background in your mind, kind of what the way you talk to yourself and what you think about yourself is just running along that yellow tape at the bottom of the screen. So you're living your life and there's lots of other thoughts, maybe at the front of your mind, you know, those other news stories going on, right? But that ticker tape just runs continuously. And so if you intentionally take a look at what that ticker tape says and start to adjust it a little bit, because often it, we can be very negative in that ticker tape and, and the way we speak to ourselves. And so as my siblings and I were talking about it, we were kind of talking about how, oh yeah, sometimes my ticker tape, you know, I really let myself have it sometimes and I'm working on, you know, speaking more positively or thinking more positively about myself so that what's running on that ticker tape is not quite so harsh And I let my siblings know that I just have this superpower in, in my opinion of myself and the way that I think about myself, it, it comes very easily to me to think very highly of myself. I don't ever have to work on that very hard. And I, I honestly don't know if it's just one of my strengths or if it's just part of my personality or something I was born with. But basically my thoughts about myself are mostly quite pleasant and I'm, my brain is a very pleasant place to be. I think very highly of myself and I treasure myself. I take really good care of myself. Now, again, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I have low days. I have bad habits. I have all kinds of things going on, but my ticker tape is awesome. You guys, it is awesome. I'm just my big, I'm my own biggest fan. And what runs along that ticker tape is just me like cheering myself on and telling myself that I look smoking hot today. So check out what's on your ticker tape. And if it needs some adjusting, I highly recommend it. It feels so good to have amazing stuff running on your ticker tape. Okay, I want to share an in the trenches moment with you guys that illustrates a few different awesome life coaching topics here, not just this victim villain one, but it happened the other day between me and my husband. And I thought, oh, I should share that on a podcast episode. That's really good. Okay, so I was feeling extra emotional. I think I probably was on my period. And so I was just feeling (laughs) a little weepy and a little bit bad for myself. And I had this particular situation come up where it kind of felt like none of my kids wanted to bring their friends to our house. I know. Okay. So 
guys, be real with me. I know this might sound a little silly to you, but in the moment I was really sad about it. I was struggling. I had quite a bit of evidence built up that I try to make our house a fun place to be and they still choose their friends' houses. And I think I'm a little bit sensitive because I worry that my older kids, their experience is being negatively affected by having such young siblings. So like, you know, I have a 14-year-old and three-year-old. So I worry that my 14-year-old is having like less of a awesome teenager experience because so much of our life is catered to the four, three and four-year-old. So I'm looking for evidence of that. Anyway, I just went up to my husband and let him know, you know, I'm really sad today. Here's what I have going on in my mind. I'd love if you would just listen to me and let me cry. I mean, I didn't quite say all those words, but he kind of knows when I just need to cry and say it out loud. And for me, I feel so much better after I cry and get that release of pent up sadness, pent up anger, whatever, pent up emotion. And then I'm ready to look at it a little bit more practically, a little bit more optimistically and just move forward. And so I knew that was what I needed. And I just snuggled up to him and told him what I was feeling, gave him my evidence of why it's just so hard that our kids don't want to bring their friends here. And it's so sad and I'm crying and all the things. Okay. So he does a great job of just kind of rubbing my arm and just listening and just saying, it's okay. It's okay. You know? And then I get all the way through. I process it all. I release it all. And I sit up and I blow my nose, wipe my tears, take a deep breath. And that was the first time I looked at his face because I had been kind of laying down next to him with my head on his kind of chest and shoulder. And just even like, I think I even had my eyes closed and I was just in the midst of what I was thinking and feeling. And I sit up and realized that he he's like on the verge of laughing. Okay. I didn't know this at the time because I was so caught up in my thing. And he did a great job of waiting till I had moved through my feelings <laughs> to the other side. And he wasn't like full on laughing, but I could just tell by his face that he was not connected to what I was saying at all. And there I was thinking, oh, he's such a good listener. And I'm just feeling so heard right now by him. And all he was doing was just like rubbing my arm and basically not saying what he was thinking. <laughs> because what he was thinking was, what a dumb thing to be crying about. <laughs> now that might sound a little rude to you. And he did, he waited a minute and I said, what, you know, what's that face? And I said, what are you thinking? And he's like, I don't know if I should tell you what I'm thinking. And I said, no, it's okay. I'm feeling better now that I've said it all and tell me what you're thinking. And that's when he said, I think that's a pretty dumb thing to be crying about. He doesn't think I'm dumb. He thinks crying about it is dumb. Now in general, my husband thinks crying in general is dumb. He thinks it doesn't make him feel better like it makes me feel better. So he just has a very different opinion of crying than me. I find crying to be, again, a release, cathartic, you know, therapeutic. When the tears come, they serve me and he doesn't believe that. So that's fine. But not only that, he loves that our kids love to be at their friends' houses. We have a very different opinion on the thing I was crying about. So on crying and on the topic. And so he let me know his feelings about that. He said, I think it's awesome that our kids have good friends and that they want to be at their houses and that our kids' friends' parents want them there and take good care of them. It just all looked like rainbows to him. He was loving it and it was making me so sad. And which is just an awesome example of these different models playing out in our heads, right? We think very differently about these topics. So a couple of lessons to be learned from just that interchange right there. And then I'm going to tell you one more part of this story. <laughs> is that I felt heard and understood because of my thoughts. What he does to make me feel heard and understood is only ever at the frosting level, right? So as he rubs my arm and he doesn't say things like, well, that's dumb, right? 
that creates this environment where I can think thoughts like, oh, he really gets me. Oh, he's such a good listener. I feel so heard. And that's the cupcake level. And then I feel heard and understood at the cupcake level. So it would be harder to feel heard and understood if he was saying, well, that's stupid. And if he weren't listening to me, right? But if I want to feel heard and understood, I create it at the cupcake level with my thoughts. Okay. And we know that because I felt so heard and understood, even though he wasn't hearing me or understanding me. I mean, like he literally heard the words I was saying, but he didn't, he did not agree with me. And he was just holding back his opinion until he knew I was ready to hear it. (laughs) And it wasn't until I looked at him that I realized, oh man, I was not being heard or understood. And then another lesson to be learned from that little interaction is that you can take that same circumstance, you know, kids playing at friends' houses or, you know, maybe what they said, like, oh, I just, I don't want to bring my friends here or whatever the, you know, my kids said that I had built up that evidence and you can have very different thoughts about it and very different feelings about it. So my thought is I wish my kids wanted to bring their friends here. or Maybe I haven't made it fun enough, or maybe my kids don't like our house, or maybe they're worried their friends won't like that there's toddlers running around or whatever, right? Those are all my thoughts about when they say they don't want to bring their friends to my house. And then I feel sad and hurt and all those things. But my husband is thinking, this is awesome. Send the kids away. (laughs) Now he loves our kids, but like me, we both love breaks from our kids and we both really value the friendships we have. And we love that our kids uh, have great friends, right? So that's all he's looking at. He's thinking, this is great. My kids have great friends, you know, all of that. So that's just a perfect example of the model and how we can have very different thoughts about the same circumstance, which will create very different feelings and so on and so on down the model. Okay. So then let me tell you what happened right after this in this part of the story. Now I was feeling better and I was thinking that I was ready to hear what he had to say. And I knew from looking at his face that he was going to disagree with me. Basically, I didn't quite know what he was going to say, but I said, you know, it's okay. I'm ready. You can dish it out. So he said what was on his mind and (laughs) I immediately got defensive. So this is the part that ties into the victim mentality. I immediately got defensive about him saying that, you know, well, that's a dumb thing to cry about. And then I attacked him. So again, this all happened in just seconds, right? This is just, he says his thing and I think how rude or whatever I thought, right? To be, to be, to become defensive or that's not true or he shouldn't think that way or he should, he should know. I think what I thought in the moment, this was, this is probably a month ago, was something like he should think that crying is a more like healthy, valuable way to process emotions. Now, obviously I didn't have that well constructed of a thought in that moment, but it was in that vein somewhere of crying is healthy. He was saying, he wasn't saying crying's unhealthy. He was saying that crying is unnecessary and unhelpful, you know, things more like that. So I get defensive because I think crying so valuable and I was glad I cried and I did feel better and I wanted him to agree with me and he just didn't. And I know this, I know this about my husband, but just right in that moment, I got defensive about what he said and then I quickly threw kind of an insult at him and I attacked his mental health and I said, out of the two of us, who, which one's more mentally healthy? And I kind of got up on my high horse because I'm this mental health expert life coach, right? And he's this man of few words, try not to show emotions kind of guy. <laughs> and I just kind of stabbed him with my words to say like, who's the expert on knowing what is healthy here? Out of, if you look at my, your mental health and my mental health. And then he was just kind of like, oh... <laughs> Because I had told him, go ahead and tell me what you're saying, what you're thinking. And then I stabbed him back. So anyway, I walked away for a minute, replayed it in my head, saw it in models. 
calmed down, went back to him and said, oh man, I'm really sorry. I don't know what just happened there. I'm sorry that I threw that insult at you. I guess I just got a little defensive about what you said. Really about, I don't quite say it like this to him, but you know, about what I thought about what he said. And then we kind of were able to laugh about it and get to the point a little bit more of the way I'm telling it to you now, where it's kind of funny that he thought it was so ridiculous that I was crying and that I felt so heard in the moment. You know, I kind of told him that part. I said, you know, what's funny is I thought that you were just listening to me so well and agreeing with what I was saying, but really you were, you know, you were just holding your opinion back. So the, what I want to point out about that scenario that ties into this victim mentality episode is that I wanted him to be a villain right in that moment. When I got defensive, basically defensive is always that tendency towards victimhood. Now, again, I'm not saying don't ever feel defensive. Just know that it goes hand in hand with victimhood and know that you're creating with your thoughts. As long as you know those two things, go ahead and feel defensive whenever you want to feel defensive. But when we think it's someone else that's causing us to feel defensive or causing us to feel anything, then it's almost like we have no choice but to feel that way, right? So to know that we created it gives us back that choice. I'm choosing it and I would choose it again. Or next time I'm going to try not to choose it because I didn't like who I became. Because as soon, it's so interesting that I wanted him to be the villain right in that moment. Like here I was being vulnerable with my husband and telling him how I was feeling. And even though he totally doesn't agree with me, I wanted him to just be so much more tender and, and kind and just be some other version of himself that he just isn't. He does not agree with what was making me sad. So he listened to me. Then he told me what he thought, right? But because he didn't agree with me, right in that moment, I wanted him to be the villain and me to be the victim. And then the next thing that happens is the attack. Now, not always. Sometimes as a victim, you cower, right? And then sometimes as a victim, you have to like go after the villain, right? You have to get your strength back and and defeat the villain, right? And jump up on that. And uh, I think Byron Katie says this. I've, I've heard it quoted several times and I think that's who they reference when they quote it. But it's something like the first act of war or defense is the first act of war. And I get what they're saying, but I didn't really get it until that moment where I saw myself go just within a matter of seconds, go from that defensive victim-y feeling straight to, well, then I need to attack him back. He hurt me. I need to hurt him now, right? It's so interesting. So defense is the first act of war. If I never felt defensive, if I was just like, he doesn't think crying is useful and that means something about him, doesn't mean anything about me. And if I just thought thoughts that created something besides defensive, I wouldn't have needed to attack him back. But because I got into that mode of defense, I had to then go on the offense to go against my villain. I had a villain. (laughs) Anyway, thank goodness I was able to just realize that it wasn't a villain. It was my husband and he doesn't need to change. He can just think what he thinks. I can request, oh, when I come to you crying, just listen and don't try to say anything or change anything or fix anything. I just need to be listened to and you need to let me cry and then I'm going to feel way better and you've done your job. You can totally disagree with me or you know, all of that. I can make that request of him because that's was really comforting in that moment to be held by him as I cried. But that's really all I need. I don't need him to agree with me. I don't need him to say anything any certain way. And it's up to me to not go to that defensive place, not to become the victim, not to make him the villain for my own benefit, really. I mean, yeah, he benefits too, because if if I'm not in defense mode, then I'm probably not going to attack him. But for me, it really is for my sake. 
So I posted recently on social media, on my Instagram and Facebook accounts. Now, I'll just say really quickly here, if you're not following me yet, go follow me right now, either on Instagram or Facebook or wherever you are or both. Look up Simply Resilient Life Coaching and follow me because I'm there almost every day. I do stories. I do videos. Anyway, I posted recently about how the year 2020 is not out to get you. And I'm just going to read that for you guys really quickly. So I said, with one week left in this crazy, unforgettable, challenging, life-changing, unique year, as we head into 2021, I'd like to offer you this thought. The year 2020 was not out to get you. I teach this concept to my clients because so many of them believe in Murphy's Law or the deployment curse, which is basically that nothing goes wrong or breaks when our husbands are home, but as soon as our husbands leave, the deployment curse strikes and everything starts going wrong and breaking. It's all mindset. Things breaking is just life and it's happening when our husbands are home and when they are gone. You're just thinking differently when he's gone. Notice how you're watching for life to be out to get you when he's gone. I've never believed in good luck or bad luck, but I run into so many people who do and it takes all your power away. It's like people think the whole world had really bad luck this year, but this year has been half hard and half awesome, just like every other year. Just a different set of circumstances. I believe in mindset and hard work and playing hard and wrapping my arms around my current circumstances rather than resisting them. I believe in looking for the good in everything because of how much better I feel when I think this way. Sure, this year has been incredibly challenging for everyone. For me, it was solo parenting six kids for four months while quarantining and distance learning while Brad was away for training. Spending much of the year worried we were about to lose our job with the airlines and we're still not 100% sure of how all that is going to work out. Plus a lot of other regular life stuff and extended family trials. But there has been so much good and opportunities for growth for everyone too. For me, it was more time with family, a simpler life, treasuring blessings and relationships, uninterrupted income, everyone healthy, learning new skills, increased perspectives, and more. The point is, you find what you're looking for. What you focus on always grows. Chances are your 2021 circumstances are not going to be much different than your 2020 circumstances. So let's change your focus. Now, I love this concept and I think it goes right along with what we're talking about in today's episode because whatever program or brain software you're running, you filter your circumstances through it like we talked about in the beginning. So if you have a program running saying things are out to get me, the army's out to get me, the military's out to get me, the deployment's out to get me, the coronavirus is out to get me, Murphy's Law is out to get me, right? You filter the events in your life through that programming, through that brain software. So I'll I'll give you an example that I read recently. You know, someone posted in a military spouse Facebook group. She said something like, you guys, I finally believe in the deployment curse. This morning on the way to work, I blew a tire and was late to work, right? I think she listed a couple of things. She blew a tire and and something happened at home. And it's just so interesting because like I said in that post, tires pop all the time. But if your tire popped when your husband was home and you could call him or he was with you and he could change the tire, you would just think, oh yeah, sometimes tires pop, right? But if he deployed a week ago or a month ago and your tire popped on the way to work and you were already feeling overwhelmed and tired And then you just think, oh, great, this is one more thing. And of course, this would happen when he's deployed. And, oh, the deployment curse is real, right? These are all your thoughts about the tire popping. 
and you've just run that set of circumstances through this filter of like the deployment curses out to get me. Okay. So that's one thing I like to work with my clients on is there's nothing out to get you like truly nothing. Now, again, at the beginning of this episode, we talked about how there are actual victims in the world. There are people who are actually victimized by terrible people. And again, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about regular life circumstances, nothing, even the hardest health challenges or or anything, none of it's out to get you. It's just part of being a human, part of being mortal. It's part of this classroom of life. I truly believe that there is no such thing as good luck, bad luck, Murphy's law, anything like that. It's just what you decide to think and believe and filter your life through. So when good things happen, if it was because of good luck, how will you create it again? And if bad things happen, and if it was because of bad luck, how will you stop it in the future? Now, I do believe in blessings and being grateful. And I actually love to say like, oh, I'm such a lucky lady, but not in the way of I have so much good luck. It's in the way of saying like, I practice loving my life every day. I love thinking that I'm a lucky lady, even in the midst of some of my greatest trials, because it serves me so much to think that I am lucky, even when things are hard. Now I let them be hard and I let myself be sad and go through those challenging trials. But when the opportunity comes up for me to offer myself that thought, I'm such a lucky lady. I am able to filter my life through that lens, through that programming In what way am I so taken care of? Am I so lucky? And so much of it I'm creating for myself and so much of it are just amazing blessings from my heavenly father. Okay, I want to talk about villains just for a second. Now, most of us think we have some villains in our life, but truly we don't know any villains for for the most part. One thing that you might find in someone who truly is trying to hurt the people around them is that if you want to call that person a villain, and you can, that's totally fine, One thing I've seen in these types of people is that they often try to look like the victim in the circumstance. That's a really interesting technique that they use. Another thing to know about the concept of villains is when someone is in victimhood, sometimes it's over something like that you've done, right? And then they need to make you their villain. So that's an interesting way to interpret when someone is attacking you, like, you know, like I attacked my husband or, or calling you out on something or you know, whatever they're doing because they've gone into victimhood, we don't need to stop them from going into victimhood or stop them from making us the villain. We don't need to prove them wrong or prove ourselves right or change the way they think about us. It's available to us to just acknowledge what's going on. I can see that they are in victimhood. I can see that they've made me their villain. I've already done what I want to do about it. You know, maybe apologize, you know, whatever the circumstances are, you show up how you want to show up in that moment And then they get to do whatever they want. And there's so much peace in that. Like I was saying earlier, we get some relief from victimhood, but we get full relief from emotional adulthood and taking ownership for our feelings, always knowing that we're creating them. And then also letting go of the way other people react and indulge in victimhood and make us their villain or all those things, right? We don't need to change any of that. We just allow for that because we have our own back And we know how to take care of ourselves. And this is actually what is the solution to all of this. The solution to the victim and villains problem is to find heroes. You be the hero in your own story. You see how other people are the hero in their story. And the way your stories 
weave together, right? We want to look for heroes. We want to stop being the victim, looking for victims, being the villain, looking for villains. Let's start looking for heroes. Whatever we look for, we're going to find. So I want to illustrate this for just a second with two examples of stories that have you know, come out and not super recent, but in the last little while that is from the quote unquote villains perspective. So if you've ever watched the Broadway play Wicked, or if you've ever watched the movie Maleficent, these are both really well-known stories, but from the villains point of view. So Wicked is where we learn about kind of the backstory of everything that happens in the Wizard of Oz, right? So we we go back to when Elphaba and Galinda were young and and all those other characters and, the, and all their backstory. And we learn of why Elphaba does what she does. And we learn about, her, you know, things that happen in her life. And, and we see her, at least in a lot of it, we see her as the hero of her own story. But when we watch the Wizard of Oz, we just see her as the bad guy. So we don't necessarily want to make villains into heroes but we just want to realize what's happening when we villainize people and when we want to make it so cut and dry of this is the good guy this is the bad guy it is off so often not cut and dry like that and so to be able to just stand back and and look for the heroes in the story right see how like we talked about a couple episodes ago in happy medium there's no bad guy that's all bad and there's no good guy that's all good There can be someone who was a villain in this portion of their life, but they have so much good they've also offered in their life. And then also in Maleficent, that is hearing Sleeping Beauty's story basically from Maleficent's point of view. And we're able to see what her life was like and why she became the person she became. Okay, so here's some more solutions going along with with heroes. The true solution to victimhood is vulnerability. It's amazing how often vulnerability is the solution. In a recent episode with the shame blame trap, we talked about how vulnerability is the perfect solution to shame and the perfect solution to blame. And blame actually plays a pretty big role in this victim and villains problem as well. And when we choose vulnerability over shame, that is the solution that gets us out of that trap. Now, often we can just allow ourselves to do whatever we need to do in the moment, right? Knowing we're creating it, but when we're ready to feel differently, There's going to be smaller examples when we're able to avoid victimhood right in the moment, right? And if there's bigger examples, bigger circumstances, we might just allow ourselves some victimhood. But when we realize we're there and when we realize we want to feel differently and get out of it, looking for heroes, choosing vulnerability over blame, these are the ways we get out of that stuck place. Another excellent solution to all of this is giving people the benefit of the doubt, so go back and listen to my episode on that as well, because, you know, for that example that I gave you uh, with Brad thinking that it was dumb that I was crying about that, as soon as I'm able to give Brad the benefit of doubt in situations like that, I don't see what he said is rude anymore. I see why he said it. And I, I, I remind myself what I know about him. And I remind myself that he doesn't think I'm stupid. He thinks crying is stupid, right? Because my brain is quickly like, oh, he just thinks I'm so stupid for crying. But that wasn't what he said at all. Crying is stupid in his mind. And he gets to think that. I don't need to change his opinion on that. And benefit of the doubt is what takes me there every time. I assume the best in the words he says to me as often as possible because then I feel amazing and I show up in our relationship better. And the final solutions that I want to offer to you for getting out of victimhood or avoiding it even in the first place is to make 
your well-being your job. It's nobody else's job. Take care of your cupcake. Have your own back. Be the hero of your own story and look for other people to be heroes. It feels so good and it feels so much better than thinking that people create your feelings, circumstances create your feelings and are powerful and are not neutral and that things are out to get you and poor you and your life is hard and you have bad luck and you find yourself complaining all the time. This is what it looks like to be really stuck in victim mentality. So if you feel like you're there and you're ready to get out, just start to gently and lovingly apply some of these concepts we talk about today. The main one, as always, is to create that awareness around it. And then when you're ready, proceed with applying some of these tools and solutions that I've suggested here at the end. And I want to leave you with, if you found yourself getting defensive at all throughout this episode, that is just this really great red flag. When I say red flag, I just mean like a cue. That's a really great cue that your brain offers you because defensive usually means we're a little bit worried they're right. <laughs> that's, it's interesting that that's where defensive comes from. It's an area we're sensitive about because we're already like a little worried about it and how dare they say it and what if they're right. And it's just very interesting. So if you noticed yourself getting defensive, just take a look and just see what comes up for you and do a thought download, do some self-coaching. Then if you're wanting more help with this, come join us in resiliency training. You guys, we're having the best time. When you come into resiliency training, you get a private one-on-one coaching session with me once a month. You get weekly content sent to you via email. So you get a video and a worksheet and some podcast episode assignments for, for you to listen to on the monthly topic. And we, it's just this perfect kind of like gym membership. Most of us don't need tons of help. We just need like a little bit of help. We just need to make our mental health a priority and we're not really sure how to do that. This is how you do that. It is amazing, you guys. I'm loving creating it. I'm loving who I'm working with and I wanna get more people in there. So go to my website, simplyresilient.net to sign up for that. And that is what I have for you guys today. Are you ready to take what you are learning here on the podcast to the next level? Then join me for resiliency training. This is my monthly coaching program that includes a private coaching session with me each month, along with weekly content and individual email support. Start anytime for just $100 a month and continue at that rate as desired with no obligation. We can all use a little help sometimes to get through the difficulties of military life. And that's exactly the boost this program will give you. Sign up on my website, simplyresilient.net. I can't wait to work with you.